Hey guys, and welcome to Underrated, a podcast where we look at films we believe are underrated, generally disliked, or simply forgotten. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and with me is my co-host, James Hamrick. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing very good as well. And uh, joining us today to talk about his pick is Josh Crabb. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate getting the chance to talk about an underrated movie. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on. Uh, so before we move on, you want to just tell us uh, a bit about yourself and uh, what you do online? Yeah, for sure. Um, for those of you who don't know what I'm doing, um, I know uh, Gabriel and James through uh, Real World Theology. Uh, I've been an editor and writer and sometimes talker. Not so much talker much lately, but uh, um, I've been a part of Real World Theology since 2014. Uh, Fizz and I kind of met as two guys online who really enjoyed movies and wanted to talk about them, uh, talking about the theology and themes of movies. And so we have uh, uh, banded together for a number of years now, working at Real World Theology, doing podcasts and written reviews and um, spun off into a lot of different fun things. Uh, Now, in 2017, uh, at Real World, I'm writing reviews, editing different uh, and curating different uh, article sections that we do like uh reviewing the classics and also that led to uh another staff member of real world theology blaine grimes and myself starting home one radio which is a star wars podcast uh, kind of a sort of spinoff of real world theology um we're still under the real world theology umbrella but we're definitely talking a lot more just all star wars um but still kind of keeping the whole umbrella of what we do at real world where we believe that entertainment is not mindless and so um uh, those are some of the things that i i do online with movies that i love to do so very much so i really appreciate you guys having me on because i i don't get uh as much a chance to be on the podcast as as maybe i would like to just for time's sake um and schedule sake and all the other things i do at real world theology so it's fun to get a chance to talk with you guys and especially get to talk about a movie that i personally like and would never be able to get on real world theology because we <laughs> we really kind of we don't do older movies we we tend to stick to newer movies yeah i've, I've tried to listen to your home on radio a couple times but most of what you talked about on there is stuff i have, have no clue what it is so. Not not that nerdy on that front. No, no, we're <laughs> definitely not. We're we're reviewing. We're not. You know, we made a commitment on that show that we're not going to talk about something that's been beaten into the ground already, which is you know forty years of talking about Star Wars. We're talking about newer content. So, just for example, I mean, recent episodes we talked about the Darth Vader Marvel comic series. You know, we we interview uh, different authors and. Uh, you know, we are interviewing a couple different artists that are going to be at Star Wars Celebration. So it's, I mean, yeah, we're doing a lot of stuff that's very much catering to Star Wars fandom specifically. But you know, we've got some very interesting things now that we've kind of, you know, set a solid foundation of what we do every single week. We've got some more interesting things coming down the pipeline uh, for the show that will probably be a little bit more, um, uh, I don't know, easier to understand for people who don't you know, live and breathe Star Wars like Blaine and I do and a lot of Star Wars fans do. So, um, you know, we've got some stuff where we're going to be uh, a launching, like uh, talking about some of the major influences of Star Wars, uh, you know, talking about older movies that influenced George Lucas and some of the newer directors and things like that, a part of the Star Wars universe. 
um, as well as actually some entry-level episodes where basically people who aren't very familiar with Star Wars, if they want to get to know Star Wars and dive a little bit deeper, we're going to give you some like, uh, you know, kiddie pool uh, depth to be able to wade into to, to, to really start digging in deeper to Star Wars. So those will be pretty exciting. So, um, yeah, some of what you said is definitely some of the early feedback we've gotten from our, our <laughs> not necessarily from Star Wars fans. Some Star Wars fans are like, this is amazing. But other people, you know, like our friends and other people online who just don't know anything about Star Wars, they're like, I can't follow you. It's it's pretty uh, it's been pretty common every week. We wait for uh, Blake Collier, who is another writer for Real World, to weigh in on Twitter. What is confusing him about our episode <laughs> this week? <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's really fun. But I'm glad you said that because that gives an opportunity for me to say we've got some more fun stuff for people who maybe don't love Star Wars as much as we do coming soon. Nice. That sounds really cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, so before we move on, I'd like to ask you guys. If you enjoy this uh, podcast, please take a moment and uh, go and rate and review us on iTunes. It would help us a lot, and we would really appreciate it. Um, so today is uh, your pick, Josh. What are we looking yeah. at this week? Well, I'm really excited. You guys gave me the opportunity to pick the movie that we're talking about, and I was thinking about a couple different things, you know, sticking with the theme of maybe underrated and um, I would say this movie is a little bit underrated. I was just perusing some of the reviews again of this movie, you know, and it's it's kind of got middling reviews, but um, I really enjoyed this movie when it came out in 2012. So it's not that long ago, um, maybe about five-ish years ago from when it, uh, I believe it started debuting at some different underground film festivals and things like that. Um, but I went with the Canadian movie, uh, which is called I Declare War. And that's a movie that um, was, it was a first time director, uh, Jason LaPierre, uh, who put that movie together. And I, I really enjoyed it. I actually found out about it because my favorite uh, movie critic um, who used to write for The Dissolve, Scott Tobias, uh, now the defunct website, The Dissolve. Um, but he wrote about the movie and I was really intrigued by it. And I got a chance to, uh, watched it very early on in its run, and I just really, really liked this movie. So um, I don't know. Do you want me to keep yammering on about how much I like it? And <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that later once we start. Talk, once we get into the main review. Okay. All right. Because uh, sounds good. Before we uh, go, before we move on, we'd like to ask: Have you seen any cool movies like this week that you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty regularly watching movies. Um, you know. I, I, if some of you are familiar with uh, some of the different podcasts that we kind of run in our circles, uh, this year, Aaron White from the Feel and Film podcast, who I think has been on your show, um, yeah. and uh, Reed Lackey from the Fear of God podcast, and myself and uh, our sort of mutual runner among these circles, uh, Jeremy Kelkara and I are all spending the year watching the entire filmography of Alfred Hitchcock. Um, which I've seen a fair number of them, but I haven't seen a lot of the newer stuff. Um, or Excuse me, newest, but the oldest stuff. Like I'm talking like the silent <laughs> films from the 20s and 30s. Um, and I got a chance recently to watch The Farmer's Wife, which is one of the longer silent films in his uh, series of films. But uh, it's something that I, I really enjoyed. Uh, it's, it's a little less what we would maybe expect from Hitchcock at this point. Um, if you want to get kind of a feel of 
his silent films to get a feel of maybe where Hitchcock is going to be in about 20 years from his silent film era. Uh, you can watch The Lodger, which is really, really great and has actually been restored on Criterion. That is a really great movie um, of that filmography. But I really enjoyed The Farmer's Wife. Like I said, it's really long. It's almost, it's like over two hours, which is very rare for a silent film in the 20s. Um, but I, I really enjoyed this story about a, um, a young widower who he's basically trying to find a new wife and it's just, it's kind of a silly, silly, uh, goofy story at times and kind of fun. And there's this one really bizarre goofball character in it. And, um, I just, I really enjoyed that movie. So if you want something, it's uh, actually on Amazon prime. So if you have Amazon prime, you can stream it for free. And I always like those. Um, and another one, if you want one, even though it's going to be a pick that you'll probably see me share on real world theology at some point, um, I just watched this recently released on Netflix, the, uh, movie, it's a French kind of horrorish horror movie, like more, I don't know, you can't really call it horror cause I mean, some horrible things happen, but they're not really scary as much as they're kind of just creepy, um, is the movie evolution. Uh, it's from a couple of years ago. It's a sci-fi film from France and it kind of strikes me as being very similar to, I don't know if either of you have seen the, uh, Scarlett Johansson, um, movie Under the Skin. Uh, the movie is insanely creepy and not in like a scary way, but very much in like an unsettling way. Like Under the Skin left me um, literally thinking there was something under my skin. Like I was creeped out by that movie and not in like the way, like maybe something, you know, more recent horror like It Follows or, uh, you know, like the Babadook or something like that, like freaked me out. Like I couldn't sleep after I watched those movies, but these movies kind of just gave me an extremely unsettled feeling because there's, there's kind of this alien quality where you very much throughout this entire movie, throughout evolution, you have absolutely no idea what is going to happen next or what exactly is going on. And the, um, the director, which the name is escaping me because it's French and I probably mispronounce it anyways, um, <laughs> very much sets up a mood that is, um, tense, uh, but, uh, very dark, creepy, but very unexpected throughout the entire movie. So if you want something where, Hey, you might not sleep for a couple days or have extreme <laughs> amounts of existential dread, watch evolution. Um, so those are a couple of the movies that I've watched within the last week that I would definitely recommend to somebody, uh, to watch. So Hitchcock, if you want something goofy and fun, which is kind of weird saying that and something horrible and unsettling, watch evolution on Netflix. <laughs> uh, you got my attention definitely uh i keep hearing about there's different movies that kind of fall into that genre they're foreign films and i started to get more interested in branching out into those i know there's another i think it's norwegian uh netflix film coming out that's kind of a a sci-fi dark thriller that mm -hmm. looks good and i'm gonna mm -hmm. start trying to i guess branch out in my my cinema knowledge in terms of these movies yeah, Netflix is a great place for that, to be completely honest. Um, something I've noticed over the years is, is that Netflix has done a really good job of picking up those kind of foreign movies that maybe would go forgotten if they weren't picked up by them. Um, I noticed on Letterboxd, like, nobody I know has seen this movie Evolution. So um, it's definitely something worth seeing. I actually just watched that today. So um, it's very fresh in my mind. Yeah, it's how a lot of them get noticed. Uh 
I think Netflix is the reason that a lot of a lot of people are now familiar with Troll Hunter. Yes. Yeah, which is a movie that um a couple of my acquaintances and friends very much like. So that's definitely something we're checking out. Troll Hunter is great. And I'm not touching that movie with a 10-foot pole. So I don't do horror. <laughs> <laughs> I I can totally understand that. So I I've stayed away from some movies, you know, I haven't seen Get Out yet cuz even though I know it's not that creepy or scary, I still really don't want to see it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't jump into horror very often, but this one kind of piqued my interest when I heard somebody recommend it, and I was like, I'm just going to watch it, and if I'm freaked out for a couple of days, I'll just deal. <laughs> well, I actually did seek it out, and I quite enjoyed it. So, Oh, great. <laughs> Take that how you will. <laughs> All right, so how about you, James? Yeah, so I've rewatched some movies that I've seen before several times, Fury Road and District 9 again. Obviously, anybody who's listened to episodes of this know that those are some of my favorite movies ever. Um, I then went back through the Indiana Jones trilogy, and those are obviously just ridiculously fun to watch. Understandably, I skipped the fourth one. Um, and then we uh, or I saw Kong, and obviously we did an episode on that over for story to screen. So I, I enjoyed it. It was um it was fun. I didn't like it as much as King Kong or uh, as much as Godzilla, but it it was fun time at the theater. Um, the two movies that I enjoyed most though that I had seen recently, one was speaking of Netflix, the Netflix original movie Siege of Jadotville. Um, mm-hmm. I really really liked this. I think it's got like in the '60s in Rotten Tomatoes, and I don't really understand that. Um, it's it's certainly not groundbreaking as as far as war films go, but what I really liked about it was that it it covers a piece of history that not a lot of movies do. You know, everything that was going on in Africa at the time, and it had really good acting. Uh, it had more it put more of an emphasis on the relationship of the soldiers and like popular opinion of them and ju- the political climate and not as much emphasis on the actual action though there is action and so overall i just think it was a really uh well-rounded film really enjoyable to watch there's there's nothing particularly bad about it so i can't really imagine why anybody would have disliked it um so I, I think it's definitely worth looking at yeah the trailer for that really intrigued me i, I do want to check that out yeah it's really really enjoyable i think um <laughs> and then i i will be met with opposition on this one but i watched enemy and i really really enjoyed it <laughs> and we could probably record an entire episode over us just yelling at each other <laughs> yes probably have you have yeah. you heard of uh enemy josh uh yes. Uh, are we talking the Dennis Villeneuve movie? Yes. Ah yes. Um, gosh, man, it's been a while since I saw that movie. Didn't that come out in like 2013, 2014? Uh, I think 2014. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I vaguely recall being. It was, I mean, I think it was okay, if I remember correctly. I know that a lot of people have very divisive opinions about uh, Villeneuve. Um, one of our staff writers, I mentioned him earlier, Blake, he does not like him at all. Um, and, uh, others of us, you know, a lot of, a lot of people I know had a rival near the top of their list. 
of movies and you know at the end of 2016 but um i really like sicario a lot yeah so um but enemy i was it was kind of um it was kind of middling for me i mean i watched it because it's you know jake gyllenhaal so i'm gonna watch a movie with him in it yeah yeah for me he he's he's like very love or hate he's like i'm completely blown away i'm like why did i waste two hours of my life on this thing so it, he's a very interesting filmmaker and enemy was one of the latter <laughs> <laughs> i think what caused me to like it so much is even outside of just the weirdness and surreal nature of the movie i don't know if i've ever seen a movie where the director had like such a command of tone and atmosphere where we're watching a completely regular reality you know it's the world looks like the world but all it takes is you know a change in the color palette um music and then just weirdly oppressive camera angles everything just feels like it's being boxed in even in the giant city shot so it made a story that you initially think is just about a guy who found another guy who looks a lot like him it made it feel really terrifying and then after several youtube videos of people explaining it i went from well that was really weird i'm not gonna say if i liked it or not liked it after i've heard it explained by people Chris Stuckman has like a 20 minute, 25 minute video over it. Uh, I ended up really, really enjoying it. Yeah. He does do a good job explaining what the film failed to do. So. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Uh, that was it for me. All right. Um, so I saw, finally got around to seeing the uh, Tim Burton's The Corpse Bride. And I thought it was okay. One thing that was interesting, it's actually one of Leica's early films. I think it's kind of before they started producing their own movies, so it's it's not like counted in their filmography. But uh, that was kind of interesting seeing their name. And I don't like their style. Um, they use models instead of molding clay. And I think what happens is their characters always end up looking like dolls or puppets. They never feel alive like the films from, say, Ardman. They just feel really stiff and and just like you're looking at an object. Um, but it is Burton, so the, the, the stylization of the whole world, the cinematography is really fantastic. Just the miniatures and all that. He has he he's he's always had a really great sense of style, and the voice cast is really great. Um, my main problem is just there wasn't really a plot, much of a plot, and the characters, in spite of how interesting looking they are, aren't terribly interesting beyond that. And so I mean, that, that's a problem I, ha- I often have with Burton. I, don't, I think while his style is always fascinating, I don't think he's a very good, very good or even storyteller. So it's just kind of meh on the whole. And also the songs are really, really bad, I think. Like no one can sing and they sound really awful. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty uh, has a pretty short runtime, so it never drags and the visuals are cool. So if you like Burton, you'd probably like it, but... Uh, I found it pretty hollow. I think it's pretty normal with people to be divisive on Tim Burton, especially since he hasn't made a lot of really great movies in quite a while. Maybe since, you know, kind of bringing his visual style to um, uh, Sweeney Todd, you know, it's kind of really the last thing where I really think he had any major, he did something good, but he's definitely, a. a, if you dig his visuals, then you're going to get something great out of a lot of his movies. But, um, you know, a lot of people can never forgive him for Batman <laughs> or the next one after that, whatever it's called. <laughs> I know a lot of people like that movie. 
Uh, and I, I also I saw Ridley Scott's Prometheus. It was a while back, but I forgot to mention it earlier. But I, I did want to talk about it. And mm. I was I watched it in preparation for Alien Covenant, and I enjoyed it. It has some serious problems, but uh, I think Scott has a very just impressive vision uh, as far as how this movie is shot and composed. Like the cinematography is stunning. Um, just some of the best I've seen from him. Michael Fassbender and Numi Rapace are also really good. And the sense of just mystery and like humanistic exploration kind of thing is really is really well done. Um, and then around the middle, it gets really awkward. Uh, first of all, everyone in this film is a complete and total moron. I mean, usually in first contact films, people do stupid things. But this one, people are doing stupid things constantly throughout. And even after people die, they continue doing these stupid things. And it really, it was really irritating. Um, and then the pacing and how characters act and react to these bizarre things happening. It's just that they don't act like people would, like how people would react if something horrible like this happens. And they just kind of like, oh, that happened. And then the next scene, they don't even acknowledge it happened. It's just really odd. But, um. I do like how it ends, and I hope he does go back and get to see wh where it continues on to, because it asks a lot of questions, and it doesn't really answer any of them, and then asks a whole bunch more by the end. So I would like to see where it goes. I, I hope he does. he's not done with this story. But um, it's, it's just a really impressive-looking film with some just fascinating uh, tidbits to learn about the alien universe, even if it's uh, really awkward in the middle. I think Fassbender's inclusion in Covenant means that they probably go probably are going to revisit some of the story ideas. In terms of Prometheus itself, it's a movie where I've never had so many good things to say about a movie I genuinely dislike. Because, <laughs> like you said, that this, the atmosphere is fantastic and that the score is haunting. It's so good. It feels right out of like the classic 70s horror um the visuals are amazing it's dark and creepy and all of the acting is great um cinematography like you mentioned is fantastic but all of the good technical aspects of it just for me <laughs> don't outweigh the mess of a plot and ridiculous characters um i'm almost hoping some of that is either retconned or somewhat explained in a way that makes sense going forward because i want to like the movie and i maybe they can fix it or fix it retroactively but we'll see all right uh, is there anything else you want you guys want to mention before we move into our uh, main review no. i'm ready let's do it all right let's move into our main review for i declare war i declare war was released in 2012 it was directed by jason lapierre and robert wilson it stars gage monroe michael friend Siam Yu and Mackenzie Monroe. Um, I don't know what the budget was, but it grossed around 15000 So this is definitely the smallest film we've done in the show so far. And uh, Josh, I'm going to get you to read a brief synopsis if you don't mind. Yeah. So the very short synopsis of this movie, and it's justified because it doesn't really move beyond the premise of this very much. Um, it is summer war games between neighborhood kids turn deadly serious when jealousy and betrayal enter the mix. All right, uh, so this is your pick, so why don't you tell us why you wanted to talk about this movie? <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, and I, I think maybe 
maybe a way to put it right off the bat is that this movie um, maybe isn't, I, I mean, I, th- I personally think based on the critical reviews that it was underrated, you know, I kind of mentioned that when I introduced the film. Um, but I think another aspect of this movie is that it's criminally underseen um, as uh, is often uh, the case with these smaller movies. There's very few people that you know who have actually seen the movie. And um, I really wanted to get a chance to talk about something that I think people could really benefit from seeing because it's it's definitely a smaller film. You know, it's it's not it's not something big budgety. Uh, the special effects in the movie are definitely, I mean, 2012, I mean, even four years ago, five years ago, that's, uh, you know, and the movie was probably in production before that. Um, you know, the digital effects aren't necessarily all that impressive. Um, nowadays we have, you know, our cell, you can get cell phone apps that have CGI effects that are almost as good as the movie. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but I really wanted to get a chance to talk about this movie because I think it's something that I mention it often as something is it's like, Hey, am I, you know, tell me a movie that you think that nobody has seen that you think is, you know, pretty great, or at least something that you should watch. And this has been kind of my go-to movie to tell people about. Um, I don't know if it's ever actually gotten anyone to see it. Um, but uh, I really want to get a chance to talk about because I think that it has a really big heart. You know, this is the first movie um, from both of these directors. So it, it's something that's a bit of a passion project for them. And I always really like it when um, passion projects or like first time directors get a chance to release a movie and it, it makes it somewhere. Um, so I really like this movie when it came out. And I think that it has a lot of really th- good things to say, um, you know, having grown up during a time period where I would play capture the flag with my friends all the time, um, you know, or, you know, something similar to the, the whole concept of war, the war games in this movie or what they call war, um, playing that all the time. It kind of took me back. And that, that was definitely a sentiment that the directors were going for to have this movie kind of feel like you were 13 years old again. Um, but I think that there's a, there's a lot more heart and there's a lot more heartfeltness to this movie than, maybe could appear on the surface. And um, so I want to get a chance for other people to be able to appreciate something that I really appreciated that not a lot of other people have gotten the opportunity to. So um, that's kind of why I wanted to see this movie, you know, and I want to support the Canadians because I really like them. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I do want to warn you guys that um, we, this will be a spoiler podcast. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's well worth watching, but uh, we will be spoiling it. Um, so yeah, when I watched this, it, it actually also reminded me a lot of my childhood. We did basically all these things growing up. <laughs> we we had forts and bunkers all through our our woods, and we um, yeah. played, made wooden guns, and we had like ranking systems and all that. So and like very 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 similar war games with the kind of, with all the rules and stuff. So it definitely took me back to my childhood watching it. And uh, though I I don't remember there being that many psychopaths running around, but. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, it it felt very similar. Uh, That's kind of funny. You know, I kind of feel like uh, this movie, uh, a lot of the archetypes and, you know, that I I read a couple of interviews over the years uh, with these directors talking about this movie um, in retrospect. Um, You know, these guys haven't done a lot since this movie, um, at least in the, uh, you know, feature length movie world. 
Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, them talking about this movie, they definitely, within those archetypes, I saw a lot of my friends growing up, which now you're saying that makes me think like, oh, no, maybe I had a lot of really crazy friends when I was growing <laughs> up. Because <laughs> like uh-huh. I told you off air before we started, Joker, uh, the red-haired, uh, curly-haired kid, um, you know, who posits all these absurdist questions about God during the movie and, um, you know, uses, uh, you know, imagines using laser eyes to blow up kids' heads. Um, <laughs> he, he definitely reminded me of a friend that I had growing up and it just, it didn't bring back like, oh no, you don't always make the best choices when you're 13 years old, but, um, in the friends that you have, but, uh, but, you know, it, it made me feel a little bit more nostalgic for that old friend of mine. <laughs> what did you think, James? Yeah, a lot of things that y'all are saying I agree with. Um, I, we, where I grew up, um, about a not even a block from me, there was like this playground. And then a block to the left of that was one of my bre- uh, best friends and a block to the right was the other. And so we kind of had this middle ground. And then right by the playground there was this wood, uh, this wooded area that always had like the, the strongest, sturdiest sticks. And so we'd just go and find <laughs> sticks and make them be guns. We'd, we'd make makeshift bow and arrows. We act like we would shoot sticks across the playground with bow and arrows we made from sticks and vines. And <laughs> so the idea of a bunch of little kids running around a, a forest area with just toys and their imagination pretending to shoot each other in the head really it it did remind me a lot of my youth <laughs> see the the thing that i'm wondering though is um you know do you guys ever play these type of games with such structure as they have they seem to have almost like a a neighborhood agreement as to what the rules are for this game and i don't remember ever having that much structure <laughs> we did um it was they weren't nearly as big. It was uh, more family related. We had a bunch of siblings and a couple co- and a cousin or two. Sure, sure. So the the rules they they definitely uh, did uh, resonate with me. <laughs> yeah, the way we would play, it was never really rules or one team versus another. We were usually like creating near like stories and stuff. Just be Star Wars. Not not really anybody. Nobody would decide uh, that it'd be this team versus that team. We kind of decided that this guy is going to play the bad guy. He's hmm. going to be Darth Vader or whatever. And nice. naturally he's going to lose. We're just going to have fun waiting until the good guys beat him. <laughs> um, but we would have like dirt clawed wars and there were teams and very serious established rules when that, when that happened. <laughs> yeah. And this is the interesting thing about this movie that I, I really wanted to get a chance to talk about first of all, because you know, this, the, the whole conceit of this movie is that they're playing a game but by, you know, the 20 to 30 minute mark, you quickly realize that this isn't a game for a lot of them. For for some of them, it definitely is, you know, um, but there's a, a handful. Uh, for example, the the I guess we would call him the main character played by Gage Monroe, who's kind of like the the big bill on here. Um, he actually just recently was in uh, The Shack. So he's kind of, you know, made a career out of acting where a lot of these kids you know, they were somewhat professional actors or some of them were just brand new actors and haven't really acted in much of anything since. But, you know, he plays mm-hmm. PK, um, Sullivan, PK Sullivan, who's, you know, this, 
he almost has like a you know his favorite his favorite movie is Patton, and he kind of has this Patton esque feel to him throughout the entire movie. You know, kind of like a grand strategist and a lot of bravado, and he's kind of got like a legend, like he's never lost. And you even see there's the affectation on his um, uh, base that he's got all these flags all around, and that I think that's supposed to symbolize <laughs> like all of the times that he's captured the flag and won. You know, and so he hasn't lost yet. And then you get on the other side, you know, he's supposed to be facing off against this other great general who is quickly replaced by, um, I don't know, I guess can be gently called a psychopath. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't know if you need to say gently. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if we're not being gentle, I'm say a complete insane person, um, a 13-year-old uh, sociopath <laughs> um, who's Skinner. Um, and I think it's interesting is because what quickly starts as a game is definitely not a game and definitely to them, if not some others as well. Um, and just one of the things I really enjoyed that makes this movie a bit more, uh, have a bit more depth to it is because of how, uh, these kids take this, you know, kind of innocent game and turn it into something where they're playing like adults. They want to act like adults, but, you know, kids navigating adult-like situations never really is done in a graceful way. And, um, you know, it kind of leads to these these kid-like or adolescent emotions sort of like boiling over. And I, I'd be interested to hear what you guys thought of, I mean, maybe not necessarily those characters specifically, but just how like the conceit of a game being a lot more than just a game kind of connects to adults because this movie is not for kids i think you had mentioned that kind of off the bat uh you know that this isn't really a movie for kids because it's got tons of horrible bad language in it and actually some racial slurs which i was forgot were in the movie um but uh you know i i wonder what you guys think about kind of this conceit of like a just a game and being something more than that I think there's definitely a, a lot of pride a kid brings into their game. So mm, yeah. everyone takes it very seriously and your you kind of your image is on the line. So <laughs> I, I remember getting into like very serious arguments over, you know, the rules or if one kid cheated or if you, or you're out, but you don't want to be out. Right. So the kind of, obviously never, never this serious, but um, I, I definitely, uh, understand kind of the the attitude that a kid brings into these games and how seriously they take it yeah yeah i think the idea that this happened somewhere isn't a stretch i mean like i said i'd never experienced it to this level but i mean there were some pretty big personalities um that kind of frequented the playground that we would that would we'd play <laughs> with and uh you know it wouldn't surprise me that if they those larger personalities which engage in this kind of game with other people of their same kind of personality or even you know even more so that it could get out of the hand the way this did um i I think the idea of treating this kind of game as if you know kids look at these games the way adults look at real war was probably my favorite aspect of the movie especially the way they display it visually and with the sound design yes and um i i want to give you guys maybe a little bit of a hint because I, I 
what I'm thinking of is there's definitely an aspect of like a loss of innocence in this movie as far as like it starts as a game and it gets pretty serious pretty quickly and it's a shock to some kids. Like I think of um, PK's friend Quan, who kind of, you know, basically he gets thrust into this situation and he's sort of like the baffled child and all of this being like, why are you guys going crazy? We're just playing a game. And, you know, he gets caught up in all of this. But the the funny thing that I was thinking of while I was watching this movie, uh, kind of rewatching this recently, is that it very much felt to me like a, a loss of innocence in something is very similar to a church league softball game. Um, <laughs> because you go to a church league softball game, you know, you stand around home plate and you pray for each other before you start the game. And by the end of the game, you want to kill each other. And, you know, what like, church did you go to? <laughs> trust me, man, it got pretty intense. intense. So they can get pretty intense. Um, you know, because you think about it, it's, it's a game, but, and that's really, you know, you go into it and you think about it, you think about it now and it's ridiculous. Um, but man, some people can take church league softball really seriously, just like they can take war really seriously when it's just a game. And that the, it, it felt very much like that to me where, you know, you're kind of innocently going into this game and by the end of it, you want to beat the Holy spirit out of the second baseman. <laughs> um, so there's very much this aspect in this of, you know, and there's usually always like the bewildered people who are standing around like Quan going, why are you guys all being so mean to each other? And, but there's a real investment. And I think what it comes from is in this, in this movie, what it's getting across is, you know, kids can take games very seriously and especially boys can be extremely competitive. Um, my eight-year-old boy, um, you know, when we play basketball just innocently outside shooting hoops, eventually it gets pretty competitive and it, it even boils up. I'm playing my eight-year-old and like I'm twice his size and I can, you know, block his shot and kind of get a little bit too excited about it. And I'm <laughs> 10 minutes afterwards, I'm like, you do realize that you're twice his size and have been playing basketball a lot longer than he has. So, but it it gets this competitive spirit, but then it also brings in all these other emotions. Um, and something, I don't know if you guys, I think probably the two major characters that we can talk about right now, but are Sullivan or PK Sullivan and um, Skinner. And kind of this idea of them being two sides of the same coin. I'm wondering if you guys have thought about that at all, that really they're not that much different, even though they're diametrically opposed to one another. But in the end, it kind of shows that they're really not that much different from one another. I don't know if you guys picked up on that at all. And how they'll kind of, they'll, they'll do whatever it takes to, to win. Kind yeah, of thing? exactly. Or to, get what they or want. to get what they want. Yeah. Cause I would say Skinner's not really in it to win. He's in it to win for a purpose. Sullivan's in it to win. Well, I mean, I guess he's in for a purpose too. So they're both trying to win just for different reasons and doing it differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did like kind of the, the rather dark, sort of ambiguous note it ended on. Mm -hmm. it, it really impressed me for that and how it treats its characters. Mm. Yeah, it definitely didn't end the way you kind of expected it to. Um and to Gabriel's point, it the movie was setting up PK to be, you know, clearly the protagonist. I mean, this is the guy we're obviously rooting for. And then 
to end it on the note that kind of suggests what you're saying, which is they're really not that different from each other. The idea that Spinner, I think the correct term for what he is is a spaz, guys. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we're led to believe that Spinner is a person who freaks out and takes things too far and just goes crazy and overreacts to situations when PK is, he's he does things somewhat similarly, just in a more composed way, where he looks at his friend's attitude and he cuts off almost all ties with him now. Like, he's completely overreacted to this to the point to where he's taken on a new friend and he wants nothing to do with this other guy and he's got this obsession with this, this game. And so, while I, I still think PK is the better person, perhaps, the fact that the movie didn't end on, you know, them, you know, getting milkshakes or whatever, it just... <laughs> It it showed that hey maybe yeah. this is more ambiguous maybe maybe we were all kind of jerks as little kids. <laughs> yeah, and you know what I thought was very interesting in that ending is kind of this aspect of you know he and you figured it maybe would end that way not necessarily with the milkshakes but you know they kind of set up like Quan and PK afterwards were going to um, you know play video games together and watch a movie or eat pizza and watch a movie or something like that. And, you know, he, Quan kind of doesn't like make up, but he says, you know, maybe tomorrow. And I think that that just brilliantly captures both kind of the conceit of the whole movie itself, kind of the container of the movie where it's very much like the whole movie is not dated in almost any sort of way whatsoever. Um, you know, the clothes don't really give away what time period it is. It doesn't really, you know, they don't say anything like, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, you know, chat with you on Facebook or something like that later. It doesn't, it doesn't date the movie in any way like that. And the container is very much like almost the movie is you would expect that like a sequel to this movie would just be the same movie over again. <laughs> and, um, you know, but also this aspect of like when you're a kid, you, you tend to be a little bit bouncier when it comes to uh, that's the way term I always use for kids is that they're a little bit more bouncy than adults are. Um, they tend to be able to brush off those things in the moment a lot easier than adults do. Like if somebody literally put a board on me and then started like torturing me, I don't think that I would be able to have fun with them ever again or see them in like at work. You know, I'd be like, arrest that man when I saw him at work again. You know, whereas whereas kids are a little bit bouncier when it comes to those things, like a little bit more willing to, I don't, I don't want to necessarily forgive, but they maybe don't have quite the complex emotions to deal with that in a way where they could even forgive somebody um, in, the, in the same sense that like an adult. Because I just think back to me being 13 years old, I didn't really have, you know, like forgiveness is like, yeah, I forgive you, you know, like we're cool. Yeah, that's fine. I don't, I don't care. Like, uh, I don't care that you tied me to a tree or whatever, you know, not like, you know, Skinner and Quan or whatever are playing with each other the next day. Um, but you know, I would imagine Quan and PK are able to make up over the fact that, you know, PK really wanted to win, but he accidentally cut, you know, Quan's chin when and sending uh, back to be tortured. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And yes, sending him back to be tortured and all that crazy stuff. So, um, but uh, before we before we yammer on too long about this, I wanted to get 
there's a couple different like periphery characters or like relationships that I thought would be interesting to, I want to hear what you guys think of, first of all, Jess, who's the only girl in this movie and kind of what you thought of her. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. what did you guys think of Jess and kind of like her story arc, which I think actually is one of the reasons why I can't rate this movie higher because I think it kind of, for me, it ended a little bit unsatisfyingly. Mm. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I thought that the the way this film handles all these different characters, making giving them all a distinct personality and then giving several of them all these vying motivations, mm-hmm. I thought it was one of its strongest aspects. Um because I mean that that's difficult to do in, in a film with adults, but to do it in any satisf- any any slightly satisfactory way in a film with a bunch of kids <laughs> was, was very impressive. Yeah. And as far as like like how like Jess, she's not she doesn't care about the game. She's just there because she likes a boy. Right. And uh, right. like she she's going around using her feminine charms to <laughs> manipulate the other kids to get what she wants and kind of turning them against each other. And I I, I did like that. I thought it was just it added like kind of another like loose cannon into the mix of all of these boys. It just it kept the, uh, the entire film intriguing, having her involved and 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 I I I, I almost like that she came on and was willing to do all these things and to manipulate these boys. And that she still didn't get what she wanted. And chances are the guy she's going after completely forgot about her as soon as he went home. So yeah, no kidding. It's, it's, it's kind of sad, but I, I think it fits well with the tone of the film. Yeah. Hmm. For me, um, in terms of character, I, I do kind of agree with Gabe in that it's, it's fun to see, we've got these two major characters who are competing against each other, but we have a bunch of different people who are there for a variety of different reasons. Some people just want to enjoy a game. (laughs) Some are there because it's their best friend who's there. And then she's there because she likes a boy. Um, I'm not entirely sure what they wanted to do with her. Like what, you know, as they wrote the script, what their intention of having her there was, Mm. Um, you know, nothing they do with her as a character i think is particularly bad but i'm just kind of curious as to why they made some of the decisions like with her and frost and trevor yeah i'm just that that whole dynamic felt a bit unnecessary to me hmm. um and anytime we we cut to frost who actually he frost may have been my favorite character i oh, feel like really? he could have nice. he could have probably fit in with the sandlot um He's the guy who got who had the coup done on him. That, that's Frost, right? No, Frost was the uh, the kid, or, or the, the, goof, the goofball kid. Yeah, he really the, liked the Jess. Yeah, yeah, he oh, okay, he's okay. the one who got the bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I really liked a lot of the stu- like a lot of the stuff between him and Trevor and the way he viewed the game and everything and his admiration of Jess initially, but then as the movie went on we kind of cut between this love triangle ish type thing. It felt a, a little superfluous. Like there was, there's no real reason any of those scenes needed to be in it. And this idea of her liking Trevor, mm-hmm. I, it just felt unnecessary for all the characters involved. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if some of the characters, that that was the major thing for me is I kind of felt like her her end was a little bit um 
I don't know, abrupt. I feel like she needed to be there to kind of be this um, sort of wild card in the mix as far as, you know, I, I thought for sure that, you know, her confrontations with these different characters, um, I that they would lead to a lot more, I don't know, you know, I'm putting in air quotes deaths, you know, which is really just getting <laughs> out of the game. Um, but I thought it was interesting how it ended up you know, making, I, I think maybe one of her major plot developments is that she really put a wedge between Trevor and Frost so that it was only, you know, Frost's last line to Trevor when he leaves with, because uh, he captures PK after that, you know, is the same thing that uh, Jess had said to Trevor when she saw him last and goes, bye, Trevor, you know, kind of like the, like the cutesy, like wave and everything with it. And I just, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from her character because I thought she had just an interesting thing going. And, you know, they put in these magical realism elements where she's, you know, kind of imagining um, the, the name of the the other general at the start of it. You know, the, the boy that she likes, essentially. She has all these, like, fake conversations with him about, like, moving to France and, you know, playing and, and uh, all these other different things that they're talking about throughout the movie when she's by herself. So... Um, I would have liked to see her motivations maybe reach a more satisfying end, but I think it's interesting that she crosses paths with, um, you know, the character that they're calling priest or Wesley, um, who's a very interesting character that, um, maybe might, you guys might have some divisive opinions on, and he has these interactions with Joker, uh, the red haired curly kid who, you know, shoots people with his laser eyes, <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, reminds me of an old friend of mine. Um, I, I what did you guys think of that character? I because I thought it was interesting the first time, and it wasn't maybe quite as interesting as I thought the second time I've seen this movie. I liked him. I, I, I like the the kid who's just there because he wants to make friends. He's super shy and actually doesn't care. Couldn't care less about the game. Right. But I did. I did like that. I guess he's he's so introverted that his imagination only comes alive when he's completely alone. <laughs> and right. how his how he like his you watch whenever he's with someone else his gun while well, they have real guns but his gun is still that goofy stick thing. Yeah. Or the, the the BB gun or whatever it is. But like when he's alone he's able to make it, turn it into a machine gun and so I don't know that they actually do much with him in the end but mm -hmm. just as a character like like that I found him interesting. Yeah, and now that you mention that, it is kind of funny. He's almost like afraid of his imagination. <laughs> you know, when he imagines the like the turret and it turns into a real one, he like kind of backs away in fear when it actually comes to life and becomes a real turret. I, that's kind of interesting. So with it, to me, um the reason I overall enjoyed his addition um was because you know, at, growing up there's probably going to be a bunch of different kids you're going to come across with. And he, he filled another of the archetypes that I feel like even I, you know, came across with as I grew up hmm. exactly the way you described him. He's, he's a kid who wants to make friends, kind of doesn't know a lot of the people there. Isn't particularly good at what he's one or at what everyone else is doing, but he wants to be good because he wants friends. Like, you know, it was. It's just another kid that you've probably met at some point, hmm. um, or that I was sometimes, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and, you know, he, they didn't really do anything of note. I think with his character, um, I'm not sure they really took him 
any interesting places. But just his addition there, it felt like if they're if we're gonna have another kid there, the fact that he made up a or that he he was a character that felt real in the same way that a lot of these other kids felt real, I felt was enough to keep it from being like a negative at the film, even though they don't really do anything interesting with his character. The fact that he does feel real is you know a good thing right and i would be interested to hear what you guys think about this because he's kind of like the character you know that has faith you know he's like an altar boy that's kind of one of his nicknames that's thrown around again because he's an altar boy in an anglican church you know he makes sure to clarify that (laughs) um (laughs) um but uh I'd be interested to hear what you guys think, and I don't I don't want to say what I thought, because he has a couple interesting interactions, both with Jess and with Joker, related to, like, God and faith, um, which I, I thought was a pretty intriguing aspect to throw into a film about kids playing war. Um, but it makes sense. But uh, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Maybe you could talk about any of those interactions that they have throughout the course of maybe the first half to two-thirds of the movie. Uh, for me, it, it felt like just about every other film when they have the Christian character <laughs> is basically like these people have never actually met a Christian. Mm. So it's like it just feels kind of like a, a couple cliches piled on top of each other without much thought given to it. That, that, that's what the impression I got. Mm. Uh, maybe you saw something deeper. For me, um, I don't know. It, I think it felt probably fairly accurate of what a child Christian would look like. Like it, there are several movies where essentially the lines of dialogue he had in this movie would have been given to a fully adult Christian in other movies. And then that complaint would have been completely valid because they're like, Oh, God is love. God is like, and it's just completely, you know, very surface level. Yeah. You know, Sunday school answers to everything. But the fact that he was a kid, it, I felt it a lot easier to forgive the simplicity of the way like his character was treated and the fact that he, you know his answers never really had a whole lot of depth it is just a kid growing up in a christian home and i feel like it was probably fairly accurate of what a conversation between this most likely fairly sheltered kid would have with this red-haired kid who just wants to bully him almost mm-hmm. right yeah. Well, and I thought that's what I thought was kind of funny is on the surface, his his maybe his answers or his apologetics are very facile and extremely um, weak. Um, but I would I would go so far as to say as that his interaction late in the film with Jess is is something that I think could serve as a good like two minute clip to play for a bunch of youth group kids and ask a bunch of interesting questions out of that. And I mean, it may sound kind of silly because the movie doesn't, I think purposely doesn't take a side necessarily in their conversation. Um, but I mean, to briefly recap their conversation, um, you know, Jess is, you know, recognizes who Wesley is. They share a class together and she says, Oh, you're the kid who prayed before his test. And he's like, yeah. I've, and she's like, how'd you do on that test? And he's like, well, you know, I got like a, 20 or something so apparently he didn't do very well and she said so you know it it didn't work out for you and he said no and he said but you know I I learned that I needed to study harder and so I studied harder and I did a lot better on the next test 
And she said, you know, so basically what did you learn? She says, like, he said, like, to pray or not to pray, but to study harder. And, you know, I think she says something within that interaction of like, um, you know, so it didn't work. The prayer didn't work. Um, but I would make the, I would make the interjection that if he prayed for that test and he did poorly, he was kind of right in saying that God gave him exactly what he wanted and God made him, you know, God, essentially his prayer was answered because it's like, you can't just pray for something you don't know and get a 100% on a test. You know, <laughs> God wants you to be able to do the work and to put in the effort to do well in a test and you can be rewarded with a good grade. Not to say that like, that's how God works. Like, you know, put in all your best effort and I'll give you exactly what you want. But it's kind of funny how I feel like that could lead to some really interesting conversations talking about the point of prayer, like what's the point of faith, like what's the point of our efforts in our faith, in our prayer, like does God answer our prayers, those kind of things. And, you know, like I said, I don't think the filmmakers necessarily come down on one side or the other. I think the only reason maybe it might seem like they're saying that, you know, prayer is pointless is because Jess is just a stronger personality than Wesley and Wesley's kind of a weaker personality. So he comes off as very much losing the conversation, quote unquote. Um, and the game. Exactly. Right. Which, you know, I, I thought was really interesting. And then, of course, there's the interactions with Joker, which is like meeting any, uh, you know, uh, very boisterous drunk person as an adult <laughs> when you talk about God being like, oh, yeah, let me give you the most ridiculous situation ever and see if God, you know, if God wanted you to eat dog poop, you know, would you do it if he would forgive you or love you forever? And, you know, kind of the point is, you know, Wesley kind of weakly is like, well, God wouldn't do that. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> you know, I don't think God's going to make you do that to get what Joker was saying. So I just thought these interactions, I mean, they weren't like you said, um, you know, they, like both of you guys said, they're very much like how a child would interact with faith and things like that. But I think that there's some deeper meaning there that um, maybe is not profound, but I found interesting and maybe conversation starting. Yeah, I can see that. There you go. It's not supposed to be incredibly profound. We're, uh, we're not watching cavalry, you know, or we're not watching uh, silence. So uh, I want to see both. <laughs> both of those are really great movies that do that on a much more profound level, you know, get you to ask and think about really deep things. So this is, you know, show it to a bunch of youth group kids, give them something more interesting to look at than a book for five minutes and then talk about that scene. <laughs> you probably have some parents complaining or something. Well, the Wesley and Jess scene, that doesn't have any cursing in it. The Joker no. ones, <laughs> the Joker ones, you can avoid that. <laughs> if you don't want parents complaining and calling you and being like, my, I, my kid went to youth group tonight and heard all these horrible words. <laughs> so anyways, I don't know why, why that those kids' moms sound like that, but we'll just but run they with do. it. Yeah, they do. <laughs> what about what about you james what were some uh, things that you enjoyed about this movie um well most of it has pretty much been covered by just but what josh has brought up um i think i talked about a lot of it earlier just it feels 
fairly real, at, at least in terms of the way kids behave. I feel like it it gets kids right. Um, and then to mm-hmm. respond to something that you mentioned earlier about just kids being bouncy, I've got um, three nephews and a niece and then more cousins than I could count. <laughs> uh, and so I have a nephew and a cousin who play together all the time. And if they don't love each other, they hate each other. There's like, there's no in between. And it's kind of to your point to saying like, kids don't get complex emotion. This guy doesn't know that if, if one of the kids hits the other really hard, like he's, he's going to get mad, mm-hmm. but he's going to forget the fact that this guy literally like assaulted him earlier. And he's like, Oh yeah, sure he did. But I mean, right. he's got the cool car. Of course I'm going to like quote unquote, forgive him and we'll play again. And so, you know, you go into the room they're in, and if, if they're not hitting each other as hard as they can, they're just best pals with their toy cars. So, yeah, just the idea of you're, you're telling somewhat complex emotional stories about these kids, but using or complex emotional ideas about people, mm-hmm. and you're conveying them through kids. And it's, it's interesting because not everything that the movie says is particularly accurate or applicable to adults. Um, and so I'm not, I don't know, it, it's a weird balance to me where you're telling these stories using these vehicles that you can't really properly tell it through, at least on an a- applicable level. But at the same time, it's not really to its fault because it's still accurate of actually, you know, of the people that age um i don't know it was it was interesting to me Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that when we think about adults you know when you would find out like if you would mediate a situation um where one adult would you know punch out another adult and he'd be like well you know i had all these simmering emotions and he slighted me this one time and like you know, he said something to me like three years ago that really got me upset. And, you know, then like, uh, you know, my marriage fell apart and all these other things. And so I just socked the guy, you know, you'd understand there's all these complex, like there's these underpinnings of emotions and feelings and things that have grown up and socioeconomic things and all these other things. And then you would ask a kid and they'd be like, well, he was mean to me. So I hit him. (laughs) And I mean, it's very black and white with kids a lot of times. Like I, like you, you mentioned that thing about you know kids either hate each other or love each other. It's like that's my daily life with four children, and it is you know one minute they're arguing and yelling and screaming at each other, the next minute they're playing very nicely together, <laughs> and it's just like I, as an adult, I don't understand that because it's like we can inhibit and we we stuff things and we know certain social mores and certain things to do and restraint and all these things. And kids don't always necessarily have those things. And I think there's this interesting parallel between the way that kids view their world and they view play and actual adults view war. Because war is a very black and white thing. You don't have time to think of complex emotions when you're confronted with somebody who's about to kill you. War is you kill someone or you are killed. And that fits very well with the with a child, child, uh, a younger, a childlike understanding. I want to say childish, but a childlike understanding of morality and life. It's very much black and white. This kid was mean to me, so I punched him in the face. You know, this person's about to shoot me. I'm going to shoot him first. And I think that that the movies 
profundity gets really deep when you think about that connection between war and kids playing and how those things can mash together. Um, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I would have totally forgotten to bring that up. <laughs> and something else that I'm thinking about that you had kind of talked about earlier was the idea of the movie being about loss of innocence mm-hmm. where I think things begin to be maybe less black and white towards the end of the movie. Cause I mean, you did say, you know, maybe the next day looks the exact same and mm-hmm. that could be the case, but also, you know, the character of, um, of Paul, the, his, his best friend mm-hmm. to him, like, PK could do no wrong at the beginning of this movie to him. And they're kind of being introduced to the idea of complexities and the fact that on surface level, PK is, you know, obviously a better, more composed person than Spinner. Like, he's the good guy. This is the bad guy, black and white. And then he kind of does realize, well, I was just perhaps maybe kind of used as a, as a means to an end. Right. And, he doesn't hate me, but he. It kind of felt like he was starting to see things in a less black and white way. So instead of just saying, "Yeah, I'll come over and play video games," or even, "Yeah, but I just need to wait until tomorrow because I'm mad." It's a, yeah, maybe tomorrow. Like yeah. he's, you know, he just he sees him differently. Right. Right. Whereas Skinner handles, you know, not winning by completely spazzing out. Like, you know, PK had mentioned kind of like the simmering tension that we never really have mentioned yet is that Skinner and PK used to be friends, but PK didn't want to be Skinner's friend anymore because he was, uh, like you said, he was a spaz. And, you know, when they'd play video games, he gets so angry, he'd like throw his, you know, break stuff. And um, that's funny because I remember I had a friend that one time when we lost, we were playing like, you know, original PlayStation and we were playing uh, NFL blitz and he, I scored a touchdown on him and he got so angry. He just stood up and took his controller and just broke it in half. (laughs) And, um, you know, but I think that to a certain extent, kind of this idea of them Skinner and PK being two sides of the same coin is whereas Skinner's emotions are much more raw and out there and not controlled. PK kind of has almost the same reactions, but it's much more cool and collected. Um, you know, his, he wants to win at any point and, you know, he's willing to, you know, basically badger, berate and abuse his friend to get what he wants. So does that make him better? Because he's, he'll abuse a human being and Skinner will just throw a controller across the room. No, it's not because Skinner tortures poor Ryan (laughs) or Paul Kwan to like, you know, basically bragging about the fact that he's like, this is how they used to kill people before they invented hanging. It's scary that he knows that as well. Terrifying. And I think he's supposed to be like 13. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe he yeah, is I a, think... he's not a spaz. He's a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, if I had a dislike, it would be that maybe they made him a bit too extreme. Mm, mm-hmm. or, or at least he kind of came all on in the first half of the film and he just stayed at this one level of evil throughout. Maybe if they slowly built up to that or something. Mm-hmm. But he didn't feel like a real kid or not anyone I knew. Yeah, or that anyone would ever let play the game. <laughs> <laughs> like, you think he would have had a reputation by then. 
you know, he's the kid that tortures animals. He's the serial <laughs> killer in training. Yeah. I, so one thing that just really impressed me just on a filmmaking level with the whole and writing with the whole film was just how well they were able to keep me engaged with this very simple concept and with with kid actors no less. Mm-hmm. I just I love just how, how they just they did put the work into it. Like I was just thinking about like a film like Kong Skull Island where they had they had a hard time making even two interesting characters. This one has like a half dozen care like full like pretty well-rounded characters mm-hmm. with child actors and I believed it. So, and it just, it kept me engaged and I love how they just kept on upping the ante and changing the game with just something else. Like, oh, there's a coup. Oh, he's captured. He's escaped. And the girls now ap- seducing people, <laughs> just, <laughs> they, and they, they just kind of kept changing it up. So it never got, or it rarely got boring or repetitive. And so just it, it felt like a very natural build as people were slowly picked off and different strategies were introduced. Yeah. And so just for a film that probably cost maybe around like 10 or $20,000. Right. They, they, they create a really, a really, uh, just a impressive product. Be like a really great calling card. I think for like a, a new filmmaker. Yeah, for sure. The first like 25 to 30 minutes, I can't believe how fast those go by. Like I remember kind of, I always tend to with movies, I kind of tend to check, you know, when I can about feel around when a movie is going to make the act one to act two and act two to act three transitions. And, you know, just all of a sudden I was like, oh, I should probably check. And I was like, oh, it's like at 29 minutes. I am really impressed how this movie kept me completely engaged through the whole first act already. And, um, it's super compelling. Um, I kind of had joked maybe semi-joked in my letterboxed like re-review of this movie is that you know it's kind of what the hunger games wanted to be i mean they even stole a moment from the hunger games and had like the beehive thing (laughs) (laughs) um but it very much felt super compelling without really needing to fill in a lot of extraneous detail you know there there was no need to give you all the detail that something like the hunger games would feel compelled to give you you know, and stretch it out into a two plus hour movie. This is, you know, an hour and a half and manages to keep you engaged the whole time. And yeah, like you said, it's a small movie that I really think more people should see because it's a lot more compelling than a lot of the garbage that's out there right now. So uh, did y'all have any uh, more positives you wanted to mention before we move into things we might not have liked? I have one question. Do you guys think the dog was real? Caleb's dog? I kind of was hmm. on the second viewing. I was kind of like, I'm not sure if that's like supposed to be his weapon, like his imagined thing. Cause I think there's some scenes where the dog is just not there. D- d- does he use it to do anything? I don't remember. No, the dog um, never interacts with another person except Jess well, goes like nice dog when it's, when she sees the dog, but I don't know if that's supposed to be like the conceit, like that's his weapon or I don't know. I found his whole character rather interesting. Like this kind of, silent tracker or something. It yeah. just kind of moves around the periphery. Then it kind of ends up being the one who makes all the actually important moves and, right. And like, you know, like all of a PK strategy goes for not. So, uh, I, I found just kind of him being the one who won the game kind of, kind of funny just, but, um, yeah, I'm not, not entirely sure what his character is. Cause that's, you know, the movie kind of ends with him like petting his dog and I was like, well, the whole movie, I kind of thought that maybe the dog wasn't real. I don't know. It it was just, it, it was something that popped into my mind as, 
I was thinking about that character because I kind of liked him as a character. Like you said, the silent tracker who is, you know, they, he kind of like early in the movie, they write him off. He's like, one of your guys doesn't even have a weapon. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's just how the one who's the least kind of the least the one who seems to have the least uh, bit invested in the fight right. and the one who interacts uh, the least with a, all these arguing children is the one who ultimately is the happiest. I wonder what, that, I wonder what that's supposed to mean. Hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. The notion of it not being real didn't even really enter into my mind. Not that I I think that's, you know, couldn't be the case. I just, it never really, never really crossed my mind. Uh, but I, I did like his character. And I did like the fact that because he was the loner and he didn't have these crazy conflicting emotions with almost everybody there. By the end of the film, everybody's emotions and their own motivations had gotten them so caught up in things other than the game that he was the only person who didn't have all of these different motivations weighing him down. And he's like, all right, this is over. I'm just going to end this. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I guess for, for my last positive, I, I, I think you mentioned before, but I really liked how the, the imagination and reality was mixed with mainly with the guns and like how they would turn back and forth between stick guns. And I like, like how, depending on how invested the kids were in the game would depend mm-hmm. on whether they were actually guns or they were just sticks. So it just—it was really creative. Just the entire, that, that entire conceit was fascinating, <laughs> and I think they they pulled it off pretty well. Yeah, the the stick guns changing from real guns and toy guns. I think that's above and beyond in terms of just attention to detail for a movie like this. All right. So, uh, were there any things that you didn't like about this movie? Hmm. Well, I mean, something that that I'd I'd kind of mentioned before is I I would have liked to have seen a different sort of conclusion for Jess. I think that could have maybe ended better than it did. Um, you know, and I thought the like I had mentioned before with her, those sort of magic magical realism touches, um, they didn't always work for me. I thought that they were interesting. I thought it might have been a little bit funnier if she had kind of been come off as a little bit crazy. (laughs) Um, and she's just talking to nobody. It would have been kind of fun, but I know that how that could have shown to be kind of confusing to audiences. If she's just talking, it was like, who the heck is she talking to? You know, so I can get why they, they stuck that in there and they did have a moment where, you know, she's still talking. Um, and you know, that character is no longer there, um, anymore. But, uh, you know, the magical realism element of that was kind of like, oh, well, I could see how maybe moving in a different direction could make her appear even kind of more of a wild card than she already was. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as it's it's funny to hear a kid swear, eventually it gets really <laughs> boring and kind of unnecessary because <laughs> they swear a lot in this movie. And as I mentioned off air before, or no, I had already mentioned this while we were talking that... Um, as much as I don't think there was a necessity to have Skinner throw racial slurs at Paul's character twice, um, I don't think that was really necessary to get across that Skinner's not the greatest dude. Um, so I could have done without the with the racial epithets thrown in. <laughs> yeah, about that, Jess, I, I I kind of liked how they just killed her like that. I think 
for me, it felt like, oh, well, that's war. You may have the most compelling reasons for why you think you should live, but if you're ta- it's your time, it's your time kind of thing. <laughs> uh, maybe it's because I liked her more than most of the characters, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. All right, I d- what about you, James? So my dislikes for this movie is kind of the opposite of what I feel about a lot of the more high-budget films. It's It's almost the exact opposite of my opinions of movies like kong or probably an even better example would be prometheus because in in prometheus and with kong i think that all the technical aspects are phenomenal um and the acting is all great but the characters themselves are super flat and make no sense and the plot just falls apart and is ridiculous whereas in this one I actually think it has fairly strong characters and the plot while not, you know, crazy in depth and it's it's pretty simple in nature, it's still an effective one. Mm-hmm. Um so all of my complaints have nothing to do with plot and characters. It's it's more of the technical aspect. And then even then you know a lot of it can be forgiven just because it's incredibly low budget. Mm-hmm. Um you know, some of the I think the two people who really gave me a somewhat difficult time of being too invested in it are actually the the actors who portrayed Quinn and Jess. Um particularly Quinn, I think you know, he there were a few scenes where it was it was just kind of ridiculous. Um and then Jess had some good moments. Uh I think her conversation with um Priest was uh one of the stronger moments, but sometimes it felt a little weird. Like I kind of knew what she was wanting to do as an actress, but it just wasn't quite coming across. Hmm. Um, and then one of the, one of the biggest ones was just that it, it was like fairly funny at times and it was fairly serious at other times, but it wasn't 100% committed to both. And this may have just been me. Um, I think like with the beginning of this animated hand-drawn thing was kind of like with, um, it showing the, rev- uh, the rules and everything. It almost suggested a more lighthearted movie that was just going to be like, oh, it's, it's kids with, with toy guns and they think it's real. Like it was just going to be a lighthearted, funny, fun movie. And so there were bits of that movie suggested. And then all of a sudden it gets really dark with, you know, with all of the language and with the racial slurs and then with the kind of almost ominous ending which works itself but i'm not sure how well it works in in the same context of this movie that has these other elements in it i don't think it's particularly bad it just felt a little off like it wasn't 100 percent committed to either of these things um but that's almost just more of a subjective thing like it, it like the budget issues it's not anything i can really feel that I can fairly say is bad about it. But that that was just me personally. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely some technical limitations to the movie that are, you know, both necessary because it's a first time, you know, small movie kind of thing. But that definitely, there's times where I wish, like you mentioned the technical aspects, I wish they would have taken a little bit more time. A lot of times first time filmmakers they'll compensate a little bit on not having a big technical budget to kind of spend a lot of that time 
casting some interesting visual imagery. And there's not really a lot of that in this at all. There's, there's nothing really that interesting to look at per se. Um, I mean, the woods are, you know, kind of like any other woods, but, um, I didn't really get a sense of, uh, you know, there's some other first time directors or low budget films that I think will spend a lot more time kind of going out of their way for that. And to a certain extent, I appreciated the movie didn't bother, but in, in another aspect, it's kind of like, uh, you know, show off your chops if you got them. Yeah. For me, I thought this film was maybe, it was probably about 20 minutes too long. I think especially in the middle, they could, like, after a while, just the walking and talking, the conversations and the twists, they started feeling kind of repetitive. Mm. And while there's the characters are all interesting, I think they maybe just went a bit longer than their story could hold if they just trimmed it down and also added maybe one more battle. There's, there's a really fun battle right in the middle, but there's only one of them. And this, right. this is a movie about war games. So I think if they had just a bit more action and then just slimmed it down a bit, it could have been like – a really fantastic film. I say it is, it's good, but I think if they had just made a bit more streamlined with a bit more, bit more action with, with still with the with the characters, um, it could have been maybe a bit more enjoyable. Yeah, I think the one thing that they could have probably trimmed down was maybe have left that. You know, there's that early part of the movie where uh, Paul's supposed brother shows up to get him because there's been a family emergency or whatever. And it would have been interesting if he had kind of been, you know, unceremoniously sent off by Skinner by getting rocks thrown at him. If they had just kind of left that open to interpretation and just cut out all that part where he walks forever (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, finds PK, they probably could have cut all that out and just kind of left it open. Like, was he his brother or wasn't he? Yeah, because that was a really cool thing they did there where... Yeah. It was like a completely new aspect. I had no clue where it was going. So that, that was really interesting. I think that might have been a better way to go. And it could have added stakes. Like, Paul's mom is in trouble. <laughs> he needs to go. <laughs> you know, it just I thought that would have been an interesting way to cut it down and keep the stakes a little bit higher. All right. So is there anything else you want to mention before we move into our closing thoughts? There, so um, for me, there were two things about two different characters that didn't quite work for me. Um, One of them may just be that I missed something, but Jess kept referring to these strategies that made her useful. Did like any, did any of that really come to fruition? Because I initially thought that her strategies was going to be that like, I'm a girl, I can seduce them. But then whenever uh, Spinner kind of, you know, brings that up, she's like, what? No, I'm not going to do that. Like it, (laughs) It felt like she kept hinting at something. I'm like, hmm, what are these strategies going to be like? What, What is this movie going to do? Where is this character going? And I don't remember really any of that amounting to anything too much. Hmm. Well, she did go and get the flag. True. It's true, But it, I didn't feel like it was like this, this. Like, oh, okay, that's why they needed her. She kind of just walked up and grabbed it. And if your <laughs> strategy was, I'm just going to walk up and grab the flag, then... That's not really something to ambiguous or ambiguously reference. Like I have my ways. Really, when it, in the end she just kind of walked over there and grabbed it. Um, I think mm. it could have been interesting to find out that like all of all of her bragging about herself and why she's important. If it was acknowledged that it was all just lies because she wanted to make herself sound useful to stay in the game, mm. um, but I don't think we really got that either. 
Yeah, I was going to say, maybe I think that was the purpose of it, was she was trying to prove her usefulness. You know, and then in her final moments, when it all kind of breaks down and Caleb is going to hit her with the the red, you know, balloon or whatever, she's just like, goes straight into hyperbole, like, I love him, you know? <laughs> I, I kind of thought that was a great kind of like last dish effort to save herself. You know, let's go into hyperbole. <laughs> I've only known this guy a little bit, but I love him. I love him because of the imagined conversations I've had with him throughout this entire game. Yeah, I, uh, I get the feeling she she was just kind of making it up just to kind of impress the guy. Yeah, so that that may have just been something that I didn't really pick up on too much, but was there and was intended to be there. Uh, the other one, it it worked in terms of visual comedy for me, but it also just feels like it comes out of nowhere, and that was Joker's laser vision. <laughs> uh, because every every other effect that the movie has, like the the helicopter noises and the radio, and uh, you know their toys become real guns, and when they throw a water balloon, it's a grenade. Every effect that's not real has some sort of real life tie. You know, like, those aren't real guns, but they're holding those toy sure. guns. And, you know, and I get that you could say, like, well, it's it's all just in terms of imagination. They're all imagining these guns, and Joker's over here imagining that he's shooting laser visions. Uh, but it, it did kind of feel like it came out of nowhere, uh, especially the first time when I was watching the movie and his eyes just started glowing red. I kind of, like, looked at it weird. I'm like, whoa, what's... This is a bit weird. Um, it's not a big deal at all, but it it did feel like it it felt like it was breaking continuity with almost the rules of imagination that the movie had set beforehand. Of you know, you throw a water balloon, and the movie is going to make it appear as what everyone else has kind of agreed that it is, which is it's a grenade, and so the movie presents itself as such. Whereas we get clips of Joker, and he's just randomly blowing stuff up with his eyes felt a little off and i think the scene that it worked the least well in was whenever i forget who it was that he was chasing with his eye vision but the kid was reacting as if he was seeing it as well so was there like some sort of did everybody commonly agree that joker had the ability to (laughs) shoot laser beams because this kid is acting accordingly well i think in that scene the kid is imagined too though because Frost isn't there. And that's, oh, I think that's, that's, I think that's the build up to when he's distracted himself and then Jess is there and, and, uh, you know, air quotes again, kills him. Well, that, that was just me being a bad viewer that I didn't even catch that. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. It's just, again, this is going back to the fact that I knew a kid that was like that when I was growing up. <laughs> Uh, that would kind of like give you this weird look like he was actually staring lasers right through you. And it just made me wistful for my childhood. <laughs> All right. Uh, so so uh, let's move just to final thoughts. So what would you want to leave our, our listeners with, Josh? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I think that this movie, uh, like I said before, has a lot of great um, things to say about childhood and play but has a lot of deeper adult emotions even dealing with things like you know even though the the um setup and the concept of you know talking about god in this movie is is very um 
uh, it's not complicated or very deep, but I think that it can ask some interesting questions. Um, sometimes, you know, movies don't even bother attempting it. And um, I, I think that it does a really great job of, of telling a small, contained, compelling story that is a really fun and good watch compared to a lot of movies where you can go with a lot higher expectations and be drastically and horribly disappointed. <laughs> um, this movie, there's no expectations and it's a pleasant surprise. And that's what I love about these smaller movies is that you can go into them kind of being like, Oh, okay. Well the, you know, the, the one sentence IMDB description sounds interesting enough. I'll watch it. And it ends up being, pleasantly a lot more interesting and a lot more fun and a lot more exciting than you initially thought it could possibly be. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really worth, uh, you know, the time to put in to watch this movie. Cause I think it has a lot more to say and it's a lot more interesting than, uh, than a lot of other movies out there. For some reason, I just keep thinking about this in comparison to like, even some war movies that, you know, I've seen over the past like five years where it's like, oh, okay, these just aren't that somehow this movie is more interesting than a lot of other movies that have uh, adults shooting each other that look a lot more real than this. <laughs> uh, and you, James? Yeah, so this movie, to me, I think the biggest reason I would recommend it is because you look at that description and it's fairly accurate. It's a very simple, simple story on the surface level. But I mean, we've talked about it for over an hour at this point. Yeah. And so it does, you know, if you ever just played around with sticks, you can watch it for nostalgia. It's got some pretty funny moments. It has characters that are more developed than you would probably assume based on, you know, just what this film is. Um, I think really the biggest criticism of it is that there are other movies that I think deal with similar things that do have kind of a higher budget. Like, you know, movies like The War or Stand By Me, you know, I think it's in a very similar vein, but those mm -hmm. movies did have the uh, the budget. But it, to counter my own point, it's also, I feel like, a little unfair to the directors of this one. Um, and it does set itself apart enough from those that I do think it warrants a watch. So... I don't think it is the absolute best in this kind of genre, but I think it's unique enough and fun enough that it definitely deserves to be viewed more than it has. Yeah. And for me, I, I, I didn't know what to expect coming into this. I, I have a hard time getting, you know, invested in most super low budget films, but I think this one, it just has such a strong concept and they really, they, they mine it for all it's worth. Mm. Like this definitely, they're not lazy in the writing at all. So I think just, it goes to show you don't need a huge budget if you have a strong idea and you're willing to just put the work into the writing and just to develop it. You can do a lot with very little end up. Just this film really impressed me from a from a uh, just a writing perspective and also just had the way the performances they got from these young kids was mostly pretty impressive. Some of them weren't great, but a lot of it was uh, was decent. I was invested in several of the characters, which was way more than I expected to be. <laughs> so. For a film of this size and budget, I, yeah, as I said, it, it's not my favorite film. I'm not sure I'm going to hurry back to see it again, but I, I'm glad I saw it and it gave me some things to think about and it definitely impressed me for what they were able to accomplish. All right. Um, well, thanks for coming on, Josh. It was great having you. Yeah. 
Thanks for indulging me in watching this movie that you'd never heard of before. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, so I'll let you again uh, tell people uh, where they can find you online. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, as I mentioned at the get-go, I'm at Real World Theology. That's uh, realworldtheology.com, R-E-E-L, worldtheology.com. That's where I write. That's uh, where I need to be on the podcast again. Um, and all my wonderful friends that are a part of Real World uh, write and podcast. So we're doing three times a month podcasts with writing pretty much almost every day of the week. Uh, you know, reviewing movies, uh, reviewing older movies, um, top five lists, all that fun stuff that we do over at Real World Theology. Um, also with my Real World Theology cohort, Blaine Grimes, um, and close personal Star Wars friend. Uh, we started this year uh, Home One Radio, which is a Star Wars podcast. Um, and uh, you can go to homeoneradio.com. You can look for that podcast on iTunes. And uh, would love for you to be a part of that, especially if you are a hardcore Star Wars fan. But like I said before, um, if you are not as deeply invested as Blaine and I are, uh, there are going to be some wonderful new things that we'll be doing on a monthly basis to invite maybe people who don't appreciate Star Wars as much as we do or maybe want to be able to appreciate as much as we do to get it to be able to do that. Um, so you can find me there. It's Home on Radio. And uh, you can find me, It's I'm contractually obligated to mention Letterboxd um, <laughs> on every podcast I'm ever on, except for Home One Radio, because that doesn't make any sense. Um, but if you go to Letterboxd, you can find me on Letterboxd as well. Um, oh, yeah, uh, Twitter and such. Uh, my Twitter handle is hey, it's that Josh. so you can find me on Twitter there. And um, if you tweet at me, I will tweet back at you. Um, but if you want to talk movies, go to Letterboxd because I love Letterboxd and um, love making lists, love reviewing all the movies that I see there. Um, and you can find me there. If you don't know what that is, go find it and start doing it. All right. Uh, and uh, I'd like to ask you again, if you enjoy this podcast, so please go and rate and review us on iTunes. And if you want to follow us, Give us a like on Facebook. We're there as Underrated Podcast. And if you want to find older episodes, you can see them at underratedpodcast.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter. We are underrated underscore pod. Um, and then we also have an email. We are the underrated podcast at gmail.com. So whichever way you feel uh, you'd like to get in touch with us. All right. And I I don't know what we will be doing next week. We're actually recording this one a bit early so, but there probably will be a podcast next week, and I'm sure the movie will be really cool. <laughs> so, uh, th thanks again for uh, coming on, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so glad I was here. So, until next week, when we talk about this definitely super cool movie that you're all going to be interested in hearing about, we will see you next time. See ya. we have an extraordinarily distinguished guest. Mr. Buckner is an American who went to the finest university in the United States, Harvard. But despite his prestigious education, Mr. Buckner still thinks that baseball is better than football. I know, boys, it's an utter sin. Now, it's our job to save this even from his evil ways and teach him what really matters in life. And that is? Football! Exactly. We're going to play five aside. 
Mr. Buckner will be goalie for the away colours. Now go easy on him, boys. Deny these Americans bruised. <laughs> 